Uh, one of the things that we're going to cover this morning is on unity. And I, was, I had an opportunity to meet with some other pastors in the greater Austin area this week, and I was really convicted um, that, that we as a church, we talk about the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ. We talk about reaching every man, woman, and child. And we also have a strategy for how we are going to join Jesus on mission. And our strategy as a church is that we multiply disciples, we multiply churches by planting more churches, which we've been a part of church planting, and we have a plan to plant more churches. And then we also partner with like-minded ministries. Now, many of you guys may remember that we did Love Georgetown earlier this year, where we partnered with 12 other churches in our city uh, to, to serve our city. And one of the things that I was convicted of this week as I, as I read through 1 Corinthians and was working my way through the message was this call for unity. And I think that so often we get so focused on our church that we forget that there is really only one church in Georgetown. And it's not River Rock. It's the church of Jesus Christ. It's his church. It's every man, woman, and child who has put their trust in Christ and Christ alone. And so when we talk about other churches, when we look at other churches, when we look at what God is doing in this city, we've got to realize that it's not just us. So I actually want to take some time Uh, And we're going to start doing this every week. I want to take some time this morning to pray not only for our church, but the other churches in Georgetown. And we're going to start this morning by praying for Antioch, Georgetown, which is a brand new, they're about a year and a half old church plant. And my good friend Andy Comer is the pastor. So if you would join with me in praying uh, for our service and for their service. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that we are not alone. Lord, that there are, uh, while there are many local bodies, there's only one body of Jesus Christ. While there are many local churches, there is only one church of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, fathers, we pray for our service. We also pray for Antioch Georgetown and their pastor, Andy Comer. Lord, we ask that you would fill their place this morning with your Holy Spirit and that lives would be changed because the gospel is preached in that church. Lord, we thank you for brothers and sisters in Christ with whom we can partner for the gospel. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, because of our special announcement, we're a little short on time. And so we're going to kind of go through things a little bit quickly this morning. And I just ask that you would bear with me. Uh, One of the things that, that we have to realize this morning is we talk about unity is that Satan is the father of lies. He is the the serpent, the accuser, and he wants nothing more than to destroy the fellowship of Jesus. And he has figured out that the best way to do that is not from the outside, but from the inside. It's from the inside. Uh, He can cause significant problems within the church. The most significant damage to the unity of families and churches comes from within And when our unity is broken, the truth is perverted, and love is denied, and the mission is lost. I think it's a timely message for us today as we talk about going to two services, because it's easy. I I can remember growing up in a church when it was time to go to two services. Everybody said, you're going to split the church. We're going to be two different churches. So it's important that we be unified, that we be unified in what God is doing. Our culture has never been more divided. I mean, think about all the divisions that we face politically, socially, economically, even relationally, especially this time of year. Football season, right? There's nothing more divisive 
than football season, except for maybe politics. And so it's easy for us to become divided, and even our church culture is divided with denominations, schools of theology, coalitions, pastors who preach at conferences, blogs and books and podcasts. Disunity is crouching at the door of the church. And if we're not fighting for it, it will overtake us. This is what I I love to say. In our family, we don't fight with each other. We fight for each other. And in this church, we're not going to fight with each other. We're going to fight for each other. And in this city, when it comes to other churches, we are not going to fight with other churches. We are going to fight for other churches because we're fighting for the gospel. My prayer is that God will force all of us to ask some hard questions today. Questions like, why are we here? Who are we all here for? And what is the mission that we're really on? I want us to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and I want to read the verses for this morning, starting in verse 10. Actually, let's back up to verse 9, where we finished last week. Paul says, God is faithful. You are called by him into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now I urge you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, and you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. For it has been reported to me about you, my brothers, by members of Chloe's household, that there is rivalry among you. What I'm saying is this, each of you says, I'm with Paul, or I'm with Apollos, or I'm with Cephas, or I'm with Christ. Is Christ divided? Was it Paul who was crucified for you? Or were you baptized into Paul's name? I thank God that I baptized none of you except for Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say you were baptized into my name. I did, in fact, baptize the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to evangelize. With cl- not with clever words, so that the cross of Christ would not be emptied of its effect. So let's back up here. In verse 10, Paul says, I urge you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say. Now, this is the point that I want us to take away, is that when it comes to unity, we must be one in our commitment to striving for unity. We must be one in our commitment to striving for unity. Unity doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. It's something that you have to fight for. Something you have to fight for. The deadliest enemy to any marriage or family or church is division. And right now, the Corinthian church that Paul is writing to is full of divisiveness, full of individuals competing against one another. They're arguing for their own mission, their own preferences, and pursuing their own glory. And Jesus knew that this was going to be one of the greatest challenges that the church would face. And in John 17, he prays not only for his disciples, but for all those who would believe through his disciples. That would be me and you. And in John 17, this is what he says. John 17, verse 11, he says, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. For I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by your name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. Think about that. The unity of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one. Jesus is praying that we as believers would have that same unity. You cannot separate the Godhead. Though they are three persons, they are one. 
That same unity is what Jesus prays that we would have. He goes on and he says this in verses 21 through 23. He says, may they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so so that what? The world may believe you sent me. Did you catch that? There's a purpose. There's a purpose for the unity. So that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory that you have given me. Think about that. The glory that the Father has given his Son, Jesus Christ, Jesus gives to his church. Not to individuals, but to the community. Let that sink in for a little bit. May they be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they be made completely one so that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Again, Jesus gives a purpose statement for why we must be one. Why we must be united. He knew that division would soon creep in. And I love this, that the thing that Jesus asks us for, the thing that Paul is promoting, is unity and not uniformity. Unity and not uniformity. That's something that we on the elder board talk about a lot. That there is room for us to have disagreements, but we are unified. When we have a vote, when there's something that we vote on as an elder board, uh, one person may say, you know what, I don't agree with this, and they are free to vote no on that. But when we walk out of that room and we stand before this church and we say, here's the decision that the elders feel God has called us to make, every single one of us stands behind that decision. Nobody says, walks out of the room and says, well, you know, the other elders wanted this, but I wanted this. That's not unity. You are free to disagree. And in fact, I can remember times when we as an elder board have voted on something and there was one person who voted no. And then he said, you know what? I want us to vote again so that it's unanimous. And all of us stand behind it. Even though my vote was no, this is the decision of the board and I want it to be known that I stand behind this decision as part of this board. That's what God asks us to do. That as a church, we would stand united United. Unity and not uniformity. What's amazing to me is that this is the tenth time that Paul has used the name of Jesus Christ in ten verses. You think he's trying to make a point? Ten times in ten verses, he uses the name of Jesus, leaving no doubt as to the one Paul believes should be the source and the focus of our Christian unity. Paul's appeal was for harmony and not for the elimination of diversity. His desire was for the unity of all the parts, much like a quilt. Think about a quilt and how it's sewn together, all the different parts, all the different colors, all the different shapes, yet it comes together to become one thing. In fact, in Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, Paul says this. He says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a and walk worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness and patience, accepting one another in love, diligently keeping the unity of the Spirit with peace, that, the peace that binds us. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. That spirit of peace that he talks about that binds us is this idea of being sewn together, to be knit together, that we are one. 
that it wouldn't be something that would tear us apart. Without one unified mind, our perspectives are driven by personal experience, our decisions by personal preference, and our mission by personal benefit. And if it's something the church doesn't agree with, or that you don't agree with, that it doesn't agree with your personal experience, your personal preference, or your personal mission, most of the time we just leave the church. Or worse, we stick around and we cause disunity. One of the things that we have to understand is that we've got to set aside our personal preferences, our personal missions, for the sake of unity in the church. We know that disunity will destroy the church. Paul goes on and he tells them that our commitment, if we're going to commit to unity, is that we have to commit to being one, one commitment to Jesus Christ. One in our commitment to Jesus Christ. It is Jesus Christ and Christ alone that we are committed to. And he talks about this in verses 11 through 16. Paul says that Jesus is the foundation of the unity. Jesus is the one on whom our unity rests, and we must rest in him and him alone. It's, it's not Paul. He says in, in verse 13, excuse me, in verse 12, he says, each one of you says, I'm with Paul, or I'm with Apollos, I'm with Cephas, or I'm with Christ. Is Christ divided? Now what's happening here is this, that Paul was the founder of the church, and so there's a group of people who have an emotional connection to Paul. Apollos was then a preacher who was very lofty in his words. He was a very gifted orator, and he comes in, and he becomes a teacher of the church. And so there are some people who say, hey, I really like this intellectual stuff. You know, Paul was very direct and, and kind of harsh, and, and I didn't really like that, but I like this lofty theological training over here, so I'm with Apollos. And then Cephas is a reference to Peter. Now, we don't have any record of Peter being there, but this is likely the group of people who viewed Peter as one of Jesus' original disciples, so he was this super apostle. And we know that often some of those who followed Peter misunderstood what he was saying, and they became those who were called the Judaizers. They wanted everybody to still follow all the traditions. And so there's another group in Corinth that says, you know what, I like all these traditions. It's easier for me to check a box than to walk in grace, and so I follow Cephas. And then you have the super spiritual people who just lay down as the trump card, well, I follow Jesus. And some scholars think that these are the ones that Paul is going to address later on who have these manifestations of their spiritual gifts, and they think because their spiritual gifts are more visible that they are somehow better than everyone else. So you have all these people saying, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, I follow Jesus. And Paul says, man, you guys have got it all wrong. And what's amazing to me is this past week, I was talking to Amanda about my sermon, um, because I usually preach at her all week long until I get here. Uh, And so so I'm I'm running things by her to see if they make sense. And I was talking to her, and our four-year-old, as I was saying, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, she interrupts me, four years old. Evie says, Daddy, you should only follow Jesus. I'm like four years old, and she gets it. Yet we, as adults, after 2,000 years of Christianity, we still don't get it. We still divide ourselves in schools of theology. 
We divide ourselves by denominations. We divide ourselves about which pastor had the coolest tweet this last week. I follow this pastor. Oh, you like him? I can't believe you like him. I follow this pastor. I follow this preacher. And we find ourselves divided. In fact, it's, it's clear to the outside world that we're divided. A couple of years ago, the American Atheist Foundation had their 50th anniversary here in Austin. And a group of pastors sat down with a group of the atheists for a discussion. And one of the atheists, before the discussion, said, you know, I, I just want to know, um, you know, there's over 30,000 different denominations in the Christian church, so before we get started, I just want to know, of those 30,000 denominations, which Jesus are we going to be talking about tonight? He understood that there was disunity in the church, and it stung those pastors, that he was right. That we are so focused on what we don't have in common rather than the most important thing that we do have in common. Now, what I love about this is that you can easily identify the root of the problem in verse 12 by focusing on the very first word of their statements. I'm with Paul. I am with Apollos. I, it's all about me. And the beauty of the gospel is that the gospel takes I and me and changes it to us and we. So Jesus is not my Lord, he's our Lord. This is not my church, it's our church. And we understand that our church is his church. It's not our church. And I, I, I love this. People walk out of worship and they're like, you know, pastor, I just, I just, I just didn't really like the worship today. And I love to say this. Well, that's okay, because we weren't worshiping you. We weren't. I'm sorry that you you didn't like the music. I'm sorry you didn't like the preaching. But I hate to break it to you. It wasn't about you today. It was not about you. It was about Jesus, and it will always remain about Jesus. He is our focus Churches divide and die because they become unified around the wrong person, around the wrong power, and around the wrong purpose. I don't know how much you guys pay attention to other churches around the country, but there are a lot of um, famous, big-name preachers and churches that are facing a real problem because their pastors are reaching retirement age. And what's happening is they can't find someone to replace that pastor. And, and some of these pastors I have a lot of respect for, and I, I think what's happened is this, is I, I, uh, these pastors that, that I see, I have a lot of respect for them, and I don't think this was intentional, but because they were in the pulpit so often, the church became built around them, and, and I know some of these pastors, and I know that was never their intention. They never wanted that. But what happens is the church starts looking to them that this is the only person that we should follow. And so when it comes time to retire, there's some churches who've decided, you know what, we're going to split into 10 different churches, or we're just going to multiply, and some churches end up just shutting down completely after many, many years of ministry because, well, that, that lead pastor's not there. The church is gone. And I'm proud to say that I'm 36 years old. I've got about 30 years left before I decide, you know, 35 is what I'm hoping for. 71, I want to, I, I, hopefully you'll stick with me that long. Uh, but I've already started working on a succession plan. And you're like, that, you got 30 years, bud. What are you doing here? Well, here's my desire. I don't want to get to the point of retirement 
and realize that I've just been passive and somehow the church has been built around my preaching, my teaching, my personality. This church is not going to be built around me. This church is not going to be built around any one staff member. This church is going to be built around Jesus' method, mission, and message. And so you guys are going to see, you, you know that I don't preach every week. I don't preach 50 out of 52 weeks. I preach 36 to 40 times a year. And as time goes on, my, my hope is that we can build a teaching team that would be working together to be preaching so that it's not about one person. And I know you're saying, well, what are you going to do with the, the other, you know, two hours of your week that you actually work, uh, since you only work on Sunday mornings? <laughs> I'm sure I'll find some way to fill that. Uh, but I, I will not allow this church to be built around one person other than the person of Jesus Christ and his mission and his message. That is who we will always focus our attention and our efforts on. Our last point is this, that we are one in our commitment to proclaiming the gospel. This is about the mission, not our mission, not a mission. It's about the mission. I said this a couple weeks ago as we started 1 Corinthians. This church does not have a mission. God's mission has a church. We let his mission own us and determine what we do. And we know that Jesus left his disciples and his last command that he gives them is that they would go and make more disciples. That they would be about proclaiming the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ and raising up, training, and equipping people to go out and continue carrying that message. And that will continue to be our focus. We are one in our commitment to proclaiming the gospel. Verse 17 says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to evangelize, not with clever words, so that the cross of Christ may not be emptied of its effect. And I love how the, the English, uh, today's English version words verse 10, because Paul is just con- finishing this thought. In verse 10, the, today's English version says, Be completely united with only one thought and only one purpose. Our only thought, our only purpose, is to exalt Jesus Christ by joining him on mission, by making more disciples, and that starts with the proclamation of the gospel. That starts with the proclamation of the gospel. That is our mission. That is what we unite around. And I said it earlier, John 17, Jesus points his disciples to this reality that, hey, there is a purpose for our unity so that the world may believe that God sent me. The world would believe that I am the Messiah. What we rally around is the kingdom of God, the gospel, the Great Commission, a commitment to our own growing personal holiness, not our personal biases, not our personal preferences or our personal agendas. It has to be bigger than our preferences. As we talk about going to two services, you know, I know there's, there's going to be a challenge for us to say, well, I'm serving every week in children's ministry and attending service. And so I must be somehow more spiritual than those who are just attending one service. And they, you know, they fill their role and they get to go home. Or, you know what, I'm, I signed up for preferred parking. So, you know, I must be better than. Or it's not fair that, that I'm serving every week and someone else is serving twice a week. And that's exactly where the Corinthian church was. 
They were fighting over who they were going to follow. They were fighting over who was doing what and who had what gift and who was filling what role. And as we talk about going to two services, it would be easy for us to look around and to measure ourselves by what somebody else is doing rather than, God, what have you called me to do? Let me stay focused on my part to fill your mission. We've got to fight for the unity this morning. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up because one of the things that I love about this church is that you guys sing so well. One of the reasons I love sitting on the front row is I get to hear everybody in unison singing together. And one of the things that I love about worship through singing is that it's, it's one of the, to me, it's, it's one of the greatest demonstrations of unity that we have in the church. Because we're all singing the same words, and with one voice we get to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to ask that you guys would stand with us this morning. The worship team is going to lead us, and with one voice... We're going to sing and worship our God. Tony, what song were you playing? Glory State. Stephen, what song were you playing? I was playing a couple different songs. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Paige, what were you playing? Come to the altar. <laughs> Drummers don't have music, so you could have been playing any song. That's Center of My Life. That's Center of My Life. Derek, what song were you playing? Center of My Life. Center, what song were you playing? Great Are You, Lord. Okay. Uh, so everybody was playing a different song. Everybody was playing their favorite song in different keys at different tempos. <laughs> And let me tell you, when we as a church are not unified, this is what the world hears. And do you think that they want to hear that message? That is not a message that anyone wants to listen to, but that is the message that too often we send to the world when we are not unified in our one Lord and our one Savior, Jesus Christ. My question to you is what is your role in preserving and pursuing that unity? Are you going to continue to play your favorite song? Or will you join the body of Christ and join in his song, in his mission, worshiping our one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Now I'm going to ask the band to all play the same song this time (laughs) so that we may all together with one voice worship our Lord. Drown and storm. What heights of love? 
lips of peace When fears are still When striving cease My comforter My all in all Here in the love of Christ I stand church works together in unison. You guys may be seated. 